You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. This is the day. from Coolidge, Arizona. We are so pleased that you have joined us this morning on the 5th of March, 2023. It's a beautiful day in Arizona today. Not so cold and definitely not too hot. So we're enjoying the weather here, and we it's a good day to be busy about the things of of God in, uh, in the study of our Bible and the consideration of uh, what God has done for us. The last uh, six weeks, including this week, we've been looking at um, an issue that is the theology of man versus the faith in Jesus Christ. So many would think, of course, that the theology of man is the faith in Jesus Christ, but Um, it would only be so if indeed the things of Christ were were all that this theology held for us. Unfortunately, we found that that isn't the case. Um, I think everyone knows that just from experience alone of going from one place to another and the people we've talked to, you know, various... um, churches and and types of um, doctrines. And, you know, what we've been talking about, this is going to be our last lesson in this in a formal way, but the principles, if you will, of the Restoration Movement in America sought to restore the apostolic gospel message. That is, the gospel once first preached and once preached in its entirety by the apostles of Christ, they sought to restore that message, those terms of pardon that God had granted from heaven, 
back to the people that were seeking Jesus and salvation in his name. In other words, <coughs> excuse me. In other words, the folks that were actually had named Jesus as their savior. That was their intent to help them restore the things that had been taken from them due to man-made theology. Well, on the surface, this sounds so simple, what they were trying to do. So logical, so right, as, as they sought to only follow the scriptures in every point. And it, when we say scriptures, we mean all of the scriptures, the whole, the oracles of God, uh, with the Old Testament being the foundation to um, why in the world that the world needed a Messiah, and then the New Testament writings <clears throat> concerning the, uh, Jesus, the Messiah, and of course the establishment of the church and the end of the first covenant of the Jews. So, why all the division then? If things are so simply uh, and logically and, and easy to do by using and following the scriptures, why do we have division such as we've got? We've got more division than we could even find. That's how much we have. There is not a there is not a number on how many different stripes of uh, Christianity with uh, this rule book and that rule book and this uh, doctrine and that doctrine. It's impossible to even know, and that is a horrible thing. Why do we have such separation of men and women? in Christendom under denominational names and various creeds, some rejecting some creeds, accepting others, some rejecting all creeds. There's just nowhere to stop with it. More and more as time progresses, the point becomes totally confusing to many. And so many, so very many have just thrown their hands in the air and said, what's the use? I don't know what's the truth. I don't know where it's at. But to people that have spent a lifetime in the Bible, they know that there is a place to go when nothing else seems to work. And that's the scriptures. God has given us this testimony and the testament of not only himself but but uh, the the entire record of mankind through the coming of the messiah and the end of the first covenant and the great promises fulfilled by jesus um, the messiah so the question the question though still remains because we still have the problem. It didn't go away this morning. And it won't be, probably will not be away tomorrow morning. The question still remains, did the Lord intend for his church, his assemblies, those that were in him, that had named him and obeyed the gospel, to remain the same, in faith and practice for all time. From the very first ones, as, as time rolls out, did he, did he hold this, this intent, and this, was this the intent of both him and the apostles and the Christians, regardless of where, what place the Christians were, or whatever culture they lived in, whatever language they spoke, regardless of those things, was the intent that it would remain the same and not be 
progressing with the so-called wisdom of men and uh, science of men and all the different things that people claim that the reason they cannot accept the scriptures is because they are antique or antiquated. Well, I say, of course, I say yes. That was his intent. What say you? But, you know, our answers are fine, but they need to have a foundation. And the only place that we're going to really know, as, as, we, have know, as we know from the studies that we do, is through the scriptures themselves. So our answer, if we are to be correct, will line up with the, the spirit of the text, the apostolic writings, the New Testament, the words of the Lord, the words of the Bible in general, as, as God rolls it out for us. So, the restoration movement that I think is a great idea, it has not gone away because it was started 200 years ago or, or more. It's, it's still here. The work is still here. We don't, we don't have a building that says restoration movement on it somewhere. And that's the headquarters. No, these are things that uh, we are to be doing these things ourselves, each one of us individually, making sure that we have restored the truth back to our thinking and share that with others. So the Restoration Movement sought to return to the scriptures from God in every point. That was the idea. They were putting aside the creeds, and many times their salaries as preachers to do just that. And, and that's the only way you can have any kind of unity. If you don't have a foundation, if you don't have a standard in which to adhere to, you're, you're going to have nothing but a, con, a mess of confusion. That is exactly right. And that's how we'll end this, this class, because that was the goal. The goal was to have unity but you cannot have unity without true Christianity. And there's where the rub comes. And as we've talked for these many weeks here with all the ideas about the, uh, the anthropology of man and how religious people observe it, promote it, and, and stand on it, and how much of it has been wrong. So... <clears throat> This is what we, we are going to end up with. We need to be using those Bible words for the Bible things that we, that we profess, the things that, regard, that pertain to faith and salvation and godly things, returning to the structure that has been given in, in the Scripture. And uh, we were going to, I left off with, uh, just before we turn to the uh, Ephesian letter, in the second chapter, <clears throat> I'm going to read verses 19, 19 through 22. We're going to use some biblical illustrations this morning as we think about uh, this, this concept about the intent of Jesus for his assemblies to remain as he had established them through his apostles. Okay, in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, we read this. Then, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens of the saints and of the household of God, being built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being chief cornerstone, in whom all building fitly framed together doth increase to a holy sanctuary in the Lord, in whom also you are builded together for a habitation of God in the Spirit. Now, this passage really has everything in it that we need. Okay? 
What it's speaking of, of course, is uh, uh, speaking of the, the being uh, foreigners and aliens as compared to those of the household of God. And you see, it didn't qualify what kind of foreigner or what kind of alien. It makes it very, uh, very clear that to be in Christ, to be a part of this fellowship in Christ, that you are fellow citizens of the kingdom of God. Now here's, here's the, the thing, friends, that I think we need to consider. And you know, we're living within the midst of a, a lot of confusion about foreigners, aliens, and citizens right now where we live in America. You see, the concept was to immigrate to a country was to put aside your citizenship and the things of where you had been and come to the new country that had its own laws, uh, hopefully built on the, the laws of God, but the, the, their own laws, their own um, um, mandate, constitution, if you will, um, and the wonderful things about that country, you were to come and become part of that. That doesn't, that doesn't mean that you came and you hoisted the flag of the country you lived at um, from where you were living and refused all of the laws and and customs of the people around you. That's not immigration. That's not what the Bible's talking about here. So my, my point of, uh, can we have the same faith that was once established, regardless of the location, the time period, customs, language, or anything? And the answer is, yes. This is what it's all about. The kingdom of God is the new home, the new place of citizenship for those that are in Christ. They all, it always has been, and it always will be. I think this is a wonderful passage, and uh, we, we need to consider it all the way through. Um, we, we find this, uh, this idea. No more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens of the saints and of the household of God. You see, we have no right to bring different ideas, different laws, and different ways into the household of God that we have been brought into through through the process um, that we know as conversion and salvation through the blood of Christ. We are bound to the ways of the household of God. So with that being the foundational, as, as it goes on to say in verse 20, these things being built upon the foundation of the apostles. Friends, do you realize that Two or three hundred years ago, there were people in, in churches all over the world that didn't even know what the apostle, who the apostles were. Still are. And there probably still is, yes. And yet, we're, our faith is built upon this, you see. Uh, we, are, we really need to... As some of our good brothers have said in the past, we need to wake up. We need to wake up and realize that if we are Christians, we are to live as Christians, and we did not establish the Christian faith. We didn't set the rules, and we have no way of voting in others or just changing or adding or subtracting. This is the issue. You know, Neil, not, not only who the apostles were, not only who, but why. There's a why. There's a what. Mm -hmm. 
there's a whole history of similar actions all throughout the word behind them. And in as, in as much as that God has used man to spread his message, and there's valid and irrevocable reasons for that. And really, ultimately, it puts everyone on their own with God in the end. And, and I think that's a lot of it, Neil. People want to get on the Christian good times train and just ride it to the end without any responsibilities or problems or issues. And just hold on to the padre and let him take care of it and you do what you can otherwise. And, and those things that you're just speaking of are not anything we find in Scripture. We have no promise of, of a smooth ride. And we're not to follow men, we're to follow Christ, as the apostles did. See, that's our example. It's sure not about feelings. It can't be, as some large religions in the world today, it can't be just God and you. If you're trying that, you're going to have a terrible disappointment at the end of your days. So there is a way. Of course, it's all, all found in the scriptures. It's all found through the message of the gospel. And that's, that's key, I mean, because it, we, can't, it we don't have direct access through God, and we know that through the systems that were in placed under, that were placed in the law, that the Christ came and fulfilled in fully, meets every single requirement. We were talking about that earlier this week, as the high priest speaking on behalf of the people to God. That's right. You see, these things are evident through Scripture. Some, most of these problems that we have should have never been, should have never came to any sort of uh, solid doctrine within within men, because they're unscriptural. And a lot of the times, and speaking for myself as much as anybody. Uh, but uh, so much of the ignorance of the uh, of understanding in the Old Testament, and, and that's a that's a place that that I I know myself I struggle quite a bit. Sure. Mm-hmm. And and when you get off track with that stuff, you can real it'll really set a bad mm-hmm. premise going forward under the under the new covenant. That's exactly right, and that's why we we really need to redouble our efforts in. Old Testament teaching to our youngsters. Uh, More than just the highlight stories through it, uh, which are wonderful to look at, but the chronology of and the true history of the Old Testament is what is lacking in our understanding. Because if we don't know that, we also are uh, unaware of the geography, um, all of the different uh, uh, um, kingdoms and struggles of mankind bringing us up to the point of of the birth of the Messiah. If you know nothing of what came before, you're going to say, so what? Yeah. That's the point. And that's why we, we've done a poor job in many, in many ways in doing this. And it's no wonder that we have the confusion we have. But it is our dedication to the scriptures that will drag us out of that hole in that pit. Now, I have some other illustrations, um, such as, let's just read uh, Acts 2.38 from our, our, our Bible. <clears throat> and whatever commentary or thing that you may have in most of your Bibles, it's, um, it misrepresents this verse quite, quite, quite a little bit. And we're going to look at verse 38, then verse 39. And this is, of course, after the lengthy sermon that Peter preached to the Jewish people on the day of Pentecost. They, they are eager. They are desperate to know what to do to appease the fact that they had crucified the Messiah. 
And remember, the Jews were the people that, that demanded his crucifixion and said, let his blood be upon us. And it was. Okay, verse 38. And Peter said unto them, Reform and be baptized each of you into the in the name of Jesus Christ unto remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, the the Calvinistic vocabulary of our Bible has turned this passage into simply repent and be immersed because your sins have been forgiven. Okay? And they'll use as a reference the baptism of John the Baptist in the desert didn't uh, cause people to re uh, repent, but um, it was because they, they, it didn't cause repentance, but they were coming saying they had repented, so they had already repented. Of course, what has that to do with Christian baptism? Absolutely nothing. When we find in the scriptures that John's baptism was, was um, for re repentance, as the scriptures clearly say in every place, and this, this baptism in Acts 2.38 is for the forgiveness of sins. And to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which, of course, that gift is the, in the next verse we find the word promise used. That gift was in fulfilling the promise of sonship. That's the gift. It, it's not... Um, it's not the gift of the indwelling spirit in an individual way. It's, it's confusing the way that the Greek, the way you break it down in the Greek and the parts, the gift belongs to the spirit of holiness. That's right. See, that's, that's, the, that's the, the twist that gets put into it in English. Yeah. And, that's, and we don't read that in our English from that passage. <laughs> no, we don't. Um, verse 39, well... Um, and, and this to understand this, repent and be immersed, um, and you all will receive the gift, if you will. That is the promised sonship. Um, it was always what was promised, the promise made to Abraham concerning the Jewish people, concerning the family that he that he would begin. That was the promise, and, it, and of course, it's one that one that they were awaiting. But just to complete it here, let's go to verse 39, and uh, we find the same issue here. Um, For to you is the promise, and to your children, and to all those afar off. Now, what's the subject here? You, your children and those that are to come, afar off even. As many as the Lord our God shall call. That's what our English Bibles say. But friends, I, that's not how the Greek is. And, I'll, and I'm going to tell you, the, the problem I have with this is that the word call is in the middle voice. It is, it is the people calling upon the Lord. And the our God is first person plural. That's the apostle speaking of the Father in heaven. Now, <clears throat> this translation that we have in every Bible that I own is purely a Calvinistic translation. It makes it it makes it appear that only the call of God in a way that they have put together in the five points of Calvinism is the only way that all of this will transpire. I, I see a real problem with, with this. 
because the the calling here um, call Lord in other words isn't that what we're doing remember what uh, Ananias said to to uh, Saul get up and be baptized calling upon the name of the Lord that's what we're looking at here instead but it's been turned around to be tra- to be a proof text for the five points of Calvinism of which I totally uh, disagree with in every aspect now um, is there a clear distinction here between what I would consider the apostolic message and the message of men's theology, which is Calvinism. I believe there's a clear distinction here. Now, I have never read anything really taking this verse apart and, and making some real hard decisions on it. But I know that every translation I have, good and, and a lot of good translations, the way it's written, it seems like um, that the call is, is, is a call that is, represents the, the issue of, of uh, Calvinism in general. Now I, now, I know that the call of God, Jesus mentioned it also, God calling, all those that God will call. But we know that that word... Um, doesn't mean that you're drugged. It means that you are enticed through the... It starts with, of course, with your, your mental... You're hearing something. You're hearing the message. Well, the gospel message has the power unto salvation. When you hear that, you are drawn. You're drawn to the issue of who Jesus is. And this is an issue for us. Uh, we need to we need to somehow um, reconcile this, but it's too bad that um, things get get in here like this in our translations. I was reading uh, from a brother uh, written many many years ago concerning the fact that most of our translations were done by Calvinistic uh, preachers and theologians and um, our commentaries, the things of the same sort, filtering. So we're filtering God's Word in a commentary form through the mind of a person that is a Calvinist and has been persuaded under the Calvinistic doctrines concerning the Scripture. So how is it they're going to explain to us verse by verse and, and chapter by chapter the things of Scripture? I, I don't believe that we can we can trust that that that's not a good uh, way to go for us. Um, so the distinction is there. The distinction I talked about a couple weeks ago. There is a clear distinction between the apostolic message and the message of man that we have today and have had for hundreds of years. So the goal of the restoration movement is our goal of restoring the scriptures back to the believers in Christ. And why would we want to do that? Because like all Christians, we seek to have unity in Christ. Unity in Christ. And why do we want unity? Because we know that if Christ, Christian, the Christian world had unity the work of evangelism amongst that group would become astounding in how much good could be done because of that unity, because of that one voice, because of that one faith. Why do people tell us that they don't want any part of going to church? Is because they find no unity between one or the other. It's, it's just not right. They know that if, there, if there's no unity, they know there must be a problem somewhere. 
and they don't want to be a part of the problem. They would much, much rather be a part of the solution, and that's what we're trying to do here, be part of the solution by returning to the Scriptures. It's simple as that. And I think the best passage to have uh, the real effect of this unity that we could also call fellowship is found in 1 John chapter 1, the first four verses. We're going to read that and then talk about it. Now we have, on, not maybe in this program, but in many others, we have deferred to this passage because we are certain that the things that were said here by the Apostle John just lay out for us the, the clear picture of who a, a Christian is, who the Lord is, and who the Father in heaven is, and who the Apostles of Christ were in their work. All right, so as we read it, let's just listen closely, and then we'll talk about what's said. That which was from the beginning, that which we have heard. Now, let me tell you immediately that the we here is is first person plural. It's John the Apostle referring to himself, and the others that are part of this this uh, apostolic group. That's why he goes no further than just them. Because they are what? They are the eyewitnesses sent out by the Lord himself. All right. That they're, all of the... We're, we, even many of the people that read this letter, they may have seen Jesus. They may, they, they yeah. may have felt, felt his mm-hmm. robe. But even... Even then, there's the qualification up here that was from the beginning. The that's beginning. Right. From the beginning. That's, that's critical. That's the qualifier. Okay. Now, that which we have heard, that which we have seen with our eyes, that which we did behold and our hands did handle concerning the word of life. Now, here he's getting back to the Gospel of John, (laughs) the terminology, the word of life. We're all referring, of course, to Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah. And the life was manifested, that is, clearly seen and clearly heard. And we have seen and do testify and declare to you the life. Now, the you is those that are reading this letter, whoever they may be. The age during or time without end, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. So what are they saying? The Son was with the Father before time, but they have seen him. They, he was manifested to us. Also first person plural. Made, made known to. Made known. Clearly seen. In other words, there was no question after a certain amount of time. Verse 3. That which we have seen and heard declare we to you. Now here's where we need to really think about what's being said. Because this is This is the issue that has been completely forgotten, if you will, in in Christendom. But it has always been part of Christianity. That you also may have fellowship with us. Does that mean that all Christians need to have fellowship with the apostles? Well, I, I don't know what else we could think about it. Now, how do we do that Do that now? Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. That you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is 
with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So friends, if we want to have the fellowship that we claim with the Father and the Son, we need to make sure we also have fellowship with the apostles. That's what's being left out. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. So, this is a good passage, isn't it? This is to fulfill your joy. To What a, what a wonderful revelation, if you will. Now, how do we have fellowship with the apostles today? Well, first we, real, we need to realize that the we and the us in these passages refer to the apostles and them only. Remember what Jesus said in Acts, the first chapter of Acts, verse 8, you will be my witnesses. And if you care to go back to that chapter, you're going to find that the you is in reference to the apostles and to them only in that passage. Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 8. All right. Christ to the apostles. Christ to the eleven, actually, at that point. To the eleven apostles. Secondly, the apostles of Christ are eyewitnesses of all that is Jesus the Messiah. Thus, they have, uh, they have a true and first experience and fellowship with Jesus and his Father. Remember, the Father spoke to the apostles from heaven. His voice was heard. And Jesus told them that every word that he was saying came from his Father. Imagine the impact of that upon them, those Jewish men. I think it's just tremendous They were the eyewitnesses. Thirdly, and here is where I try to answer the question, how do we have fellowship? If we as Christians seek to claim any fellowship with the Father or with Jesus the Messiah, we, each one of us, must first have fellowship with the Lord's apostles. How? Through their words, their deeds, and the pattern of doctrine that the Lord had commanded them to teach to all that believe and are baptized into Christ Jesus. That, friends, we can't escape from. Where is the rub of all the various problems within Christendom? It's the, it's the departure from the apostolic principles of the New Testament. That's where it's at. Either the uh, additional things added, things ignored, mistranslations, uh, problems with pronouns, uh, prepositions, just there's no end to it. What can we do about it? We can make sure that we are dedicated to the apostolic principles and teachings of the Bible which would be their words and deeds, their pattern of doctrine for salvation. What did Jesus say? Let's look at Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. <clears throat> After Jesus, and just before he was ascended to heaven, he said this, this to them. That is the, the, the apostles. First, he said, given to me was all authority in heaven on earth, and on earth. Having gone then, in other words, as most of our Bibles read, going then, disciple all the nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all Whatever I did command you, and lo, I am with you all the days, 
till the full end of the age. And indeed, he was with them until the full end of the age, their age, which was the Jewish age. And at the very end of the Jewish age was also an age known as the apostolic age. The words from heaven through the apostles of Christ. Just because a cursory reading of the, of the New Testament by people today that they cannot see a clear distinction between the apostles and anyone else doesn't mean that it's not true. The idea is just because it's been forgotten and ignored for a lot of good reasons, a lot of reasons so that things can be changed. So, whatever they taught, that is the apostles, whatever they taught concerning Jesus must be what we believe and teach to others also. That's just the only way it can be. No one, regardless of their piety, has the right to change one thing that we find in the, in the principles of the apostolic preaching of the day. No one, regardless of who they are. And there's been many wonderful people that have done that, uh, much to their shame. Now, to have the fellowship that we need to have with the apostles, I think, and to understand it in the light of what John has wrote, really is a conforming and a confirming, if you will, a confirming thought and emotion what really true fellowship is really all about. You know, in a very simple way, many times we, we have friends, many of our friends are people that really have a whole lot in common with us. It makes us, we're, very, we're comfortable with that. Why do you suppose that is? You see, it's the same principle we're talking about. We need to have all things in common with the apostles of Christ concerning our faith in Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, the Son of God. If we don't, we're going to have trouble. Now, I want to end this lesson with reading just a, a few things from um, a, um, a writing that was that was uh, out in the uh, late 70s, I think, uh, out by, uh, was written for some of our publications, I think the Christian Standard it might have been in, uh, by Dr. Harold Ford, and under the, uh, the idea of the validity, that is the validity of the Restoration Movement, and the ideas within that movement. Here's what he said, and this is what I want to conclude. Probably other uh, propositions could be included, and many will be thought of as perhaps suggested by some who read these lines. But each one of them must meet the test of truth if it is to be considered worthy to stand as a basis for the Restoration Movement or any position which takes its stand thereupon. Those which have been cited grow out of the proposition that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that the New Testament is the Word of God written containing his revelation in the Word of God, that is the living Word of God. The propositions then chosen, however, are basic to the, to the position of the Restoration Movement. Our reasoning our logic rests upon them and the truth or rightness of our conclusions and of our position depend upon the truth of these propositions. They are, in brief review, first, the problem confronting Christianity, division of its people and forces resulting in the stunting of our efforts to evangelize the world is caused by this this division. Second, the, uh, the solution to this problem is to be found 
in making Christians in their finest and most spiritual sense through conformity to the doctrine of our Lord and his apostles as taught in the New Testament. Third, the church, the fellowship of the Christians so made, should continue until the end of time as Jesus designed and established it, seeking always to call every man to the acceptance of Jesus Christ as Lord. Only so can the church in its finest sense be restored to the world and finally accomplish its purpose. Our prayer always ought to be, Lord, speed us to this end. Even so, be it. Amen. I think that's a wonderful writing, observation even, if you will. Now, for me to say, I want to conclude in my words, the words and thoughts of these six lessons is not to cause more separation amongst believers in Jesus Christ. That would be the opposite of of the intent. But rather to encourage each of us to humble ourselves to his way, to his words, to his work, bringing mankind a remedy for their sins through Jesus, our Redeemer and our Savior. To say that we love him and that we love the Father means that we will respect their wishes, their words, their their way and doctrines and their guidance for our own good and the saving of others. We pray these things have been useful to you and will set you on a course to accept only the word of God in its in its true light properly translated for your faith and and your hope. We pray these things are useful today. Um, Please join us again when we meet again. We pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.